What's up, church? Wow, that's terrible. What's up? What's up, church? There we go. Hey, we're grateful to have you guys. This is week two of our series on heaven. I think all of us in here have asked questions at some point. You know, uh, will I be able to fly? Will I be able to know the people that are there that have gone before us? Will I be able to eat? Yes. That's the one thing that I'm like looking forward to. Am I going to be able to eat? Um, and so there's all these different questions. And if you weren't here last week, I encourage you, please go back. Uh, you can find it on our website under the resource tab, uh, under sermon archives. There's all the series that we've had at Stone Point, uh, but also the Heaven series. Week one is up and available to you. I encourage you to go back and listen to it. And here's why. Because you may get in the middle of this and go, I have no idea what he's talking about. And so as this uh, sermon series continues, we try to build upon what we've already previously taught. And uh, I'm going to do my best uh, to not lose you. And so if you're a first-time guest, uh, we're grateful to have you. My prayer is, is that uh, you're able to kind of stay with me to some degree. But here's the other part of it. I'm inviting you um, to not only listen along, but as you have questions, uh, I'm making myself available to you. And so you may go, you know what, you said this, and I don't really understand this completely. Can you explain it to me a little bit more? And I would be glad to do that. And so find me uh, back at our connection area. Uh, right back in the back. We have a couple tables set up after the service. I'll kind of be back that way. So please come and uh, visit with me. Even if you're a new guest, I'd love just to uh, get to know you uh, and uh, put a face with a name. That'd be awesome. Uh, but here we go. Y'all ready for this? Yeah. Let me kind of uh, explain to you what we talked about last week. One, uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, we know that God has given us a body here on this earth, right? You and I currently are in our body right now. Yes? Good deal. Okay, now that we understand that, you also know that this body has groans, aches, and pains. Anybody feeling this morning? Okay, now there's some of you that you're in your 50s and 60s, you didn't raise your hand, so you're in denial, okay? Um, but you felt them this morning. If you didn't feel them this morning, you'll feel them this evening. But the bottom line is, is like you and I, we know these bodies are going back to the dust. That's what the Bible tells us. We came from dust and the dust will return. And so we all agree with that, right? Our physical bodies are going to give out one day. And when they do, there's something that happens. When, when our bodies give out, it, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 is that God is preparing for us an eternal dwelling made in heaven for you. 2 Corinthians 5. And so here it is. You have this earthly body, this tent, so to say, that is a temporary structure that's meant to one day go back to the dust. When it goes back to the dust, it says that your soul departs and you are with the Lord. And so to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, is what Paul says. Meaning that if you leave your body and your soul goes to heaven, okay, that there has to be a heaven right now. Got it? Uh, if you remember, Jesus dies on the cross, and last week we addressed it, and he said to the thief next to him who believed in him, today you will be with me in what? Paradise. But what he said is, is today you'll be with me in paradise. And so uh, contrary to some teachings, some people think, oh, you just go to the, the ground and one day God's going to come get you. No, we believe, and the Bible clearly and explicitly teaches that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so it is in paradise or heaven, and those two things can be synonymous if you'd like them to be, paradise or heaven. Got it? Everybody agree with that? Say, amen, I get it. Okay. Man, lots of amens today. Y'all ready for this? But here's what I want you to understand. The Bible also tells us that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. 
Matter of fact, in the new heaven and the new earth, we're going to read about it a little bit, but we told you about it in detail last week. We talked about the kingdom of heaven. And so last week, that's what we shared with you. We shared that it's going to be uh, 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles long. It's going to be as, as uh, tall as it is long and wide. So it's going to be 1,400 miles high. And, and so if you like understand, like our atmosphere right now uh, is you know, 12 to 16 miles high. Can you imagine 1,500 miles high? And that's the new Jerusalem. That's the holy city. And then you know that it's going to have 12 gates, three on each wall of the perimeter, and it's going to be all of them are going to be made of one large pearl. And then you're going to see all of these stones, and all the stones that you see of all these precious stones are going to represent the 12 apostles. All the gates are going to represent uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's going to be this magnificent sight, like you and I aren't going to be able to even understand it. That's where you also know in Revelation what? Streets of gold, crystal sea. River of life, tree of life on both sides. Like, I can't understand all that. But what I want you to understand, and this is the key for all of this series, is that that's the heaven that we are addressing. And so you go, well, you're telling me that that heaven is different than what Old Testament saints and all those people who have gone asleep or have left this previous life before us, they're not in that heaven? Absolutely not. They're not there yet. And so you go, well, what do you mean? What I'm telling you is that the Bible explicitly teaches that there's an intermediate state. There's a heaven now. And so what does the heaven now possess? Well, we know that there has, there's no sin there, right? Can't be, because God is there and Jesus is there. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. We know that very clearly. So you go, okay, there's no sin there. That means there's also no pain. So we know that there are things there right now in the heaven to be, to be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord. That's true. But the heaven that you and I are talking about now, that when you hear a preacher at a funeral tell you, hey, your loved ones are not now walking on the streets of gold, that's not true according to the timeline of the Bible. And you go, what? So here's what you need to understand. Here's what it looks like. There is a heaven or paradise now, but that is not the final heaven. That is not the final eternal state. Why? Listen to me. Listen. God tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4 that what? He is going to come back and He is going to what? Receive us unto Himself, meaning that the dead in Christ will rise. Well, here's what you and I need to know is that the people who have gone before us now, they don't have a glorified body. Their bodies are not ready for the eternal state. They're not ready for all of heaven. And so let me give you the timeline and then I hope that it all makes sense. Because you're like, I can already tell some of you are looking at me like, what? And isn't it a shame that you've been in church all these years and nobody's ever taught you this? To be absent from the body is to be present in the Lord, and so you're with the Lord. Got me? But we also know that he's going to come and he's going to get the church. It's called the rapture, and he's going to what? Send his son back, and he's going to come, we know from Revelation, on a what? White horse, one of these. He's going to get the church, he's going to rapture the church, and then it's going to usher in a seven-year tribulation period. In the seven-year tribulation period, Daniel tells us for the thir first three and a half years, it's going to be peace. And you're going to see ten, ten uh, nations come together un under almost one confederacy, and they're going to make a partnership with the Jewish nation. And they're going to they're come into relationship. And we know that from Daniel, that's, that's rare. Like, you don't even believe it. Because right now, the Jews have nothing to do with Arab nations or anything. But there's going to be something that happens. And it's going to, what, usher in the seven-year tribulation. At which, in three and a half of those years, 
everything's going to break loose. And the Antichrist, what the Bible tells us in Daniel from our series, go back and listen to it, it's on the sermon archives, we know that the Antichrist is going to rise up and God is going to use that time to put a rod on the back of Israel. Israel denied who? Jesus. They denied that He was the Messiah, and so they didn't believe that He was the way to get to God. They believed that, what? There is no Messiah yet, and so they're still waiting for the Messiah. We teach that, and the Bible clearly says that Jesus was the Messiah, that He came and He lived among them, yet they did not recognize Him, John 1. That He came to die, to offer forgiveness to sinners, to what? Put us in a proper relationship with God. Because before that, we were all broken, and we're sinful people. You got it? Romans 3.23, for all sin fall short of the glory of God. That's us, right? And so the only way we have a relationship with God is what? Through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus makes us right with the Father. But the thing is, is the Jews are going to have to have a seven-year tribulation period where God puts a rod on their back and He bends them towards Him. And they're going to recognize that Jesus was indeed the Messiah and it's going to happen in that seven-year tribulation period. And then in His final judgment, He's going to come at the end of the seven-year tribulation And he's going to come on that white horse and he is going to offer judgment. And he's going to take, what, Satan? He's going to bind him and it's through the thousand-year millennial reign. And if you go, well, I don't even know where that is. It's in Revelation chapter 20. And you can can read about the thousand-year millennial reign. And it's going to be a thousand years of God sitting in his tabernacle that Ezekiel describes in Ezekiel 40 to 42. And it's going to be a, a temple that's far beyond any temple that's ever made by human hands or by the Israelites. And that's where God is going to dwell through the person of Jesus Christ for a thousand years. Then you go, well, what happens after the seven years of tribulation, the thousand-year millennial reign? Well, Revelation 21 tells us that a new heaven and a new earth is then made, meaning God takes all the former things of this earth and He recreates them. He dissolves them like fire is what we saw last week. Are y'all with me? So let's look at Revelation chapter 21, and let's begin to read, and let's look at why is this true? Why, why has God done this? Why is it that if our loved ones are in heaven right now as we know it, and they're with God, then why can't they see God in all of His fullness, and why aren't they walking on the streets of gold, and why aren't they enjoying the crystal sea? Okay, because those are the questions that we ask. And so here we go. Let's look at it. In Revelation 21, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read about six verses today. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. You got this? And for those of you that are okay, you're like, okay, I see a new heaven and a new earth. Look at the next line. For the first heaven, look, and the first earth had what? Look at that. Soak that in. Old Testament saints, your grandmother that's passed away, your friend, your loved one, they are enjoying the first heaven, my friends. You got me? They are still in communion with God. They are still with the Father. They are still with the Son. There is very clearly no sin there. There is no pain there. But they're not enjoying the new kingdom, the fullness of the kingdom of God, the new heaven and the new earth. It has not come yet. Why hasn't it come yet? Because in Revelation 21, there's a timeline that happens before it. It's called the tribulation and the millennial reign. Look at chapter 20 in Revelation, just on the left-hand side. Do you see it? It'll say a thousand years. That's the millennial reign. Now, if you believe that this is all a metaphor and that this could have already occurred, then I guess you could say that the new heaven and the new earth could be fulfilled already. But I believe that this is literal. Why? Because I believe the Bible to be literal. 
And so if I believe it to be literal, I know the thousand-year millennial reign has not occurred. Why? Because you and I wouldn't be sitting in these seats. Do you understand that? Why? Because here's what God promises. He promises the rapture of the church. And at the rapture of the church, the dead in Christ will rise, meaning that all the graves that you and I go visit will be empty. Their bodies will be what? New glorified bodies ready for the eternal state, ready for the seven-year tribulation, ready for the millennial reign, and ultimately ready for heaven when it's recreated. And you go, well, why does God recreate the, the heavens and why does he recreate the earth? Do you understand that right now this earth is broken? 2 Corinthians 5, we groan. Your bodies are broken, that's why you groan. Do you realize that this earth is full of sin? How long does it take you to discover that? 10 o'clock news, about, what, 30 seconds in. And so here's the, the reason that God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth is because this heaven is not fit for the eternal state. It's not fit for eternity. Why? Because it's full of sin, full of corruption, and God's going to remake it. Just as he took your heart when it was broken and it was far from God, he recreated it through his son, Jesus Christ. He's going to do the same thing with this earth. He's going to recreate it, and he's going to establish a new heaven, and the holy city is going to come out of the sky. Look at it. Verse 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of what? Heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Do you see it? Did y'all catch that? It hasn't happened. It's going to. The holy city is going to come. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. Do you see the emphasis here? He says it three different times. He's going to what? Be among the people. He's going to dwell with them. They'll be his people, and he's going to live among them. Now, you understand that God, right now, you go, well, God lives among us because he's sovereign, right? God is all places at all times. We teach our kids all the time that God wants to be your friend and that he's always with you. Do you know that? Yes. And we believe God is with us all the time. But you see, here he says, He's going to dwell among the people. He'll dwell with them. They'll be his people, and God will be with them and be their God. And you go, you know what? That's true now. And it is true now, but let me ask you a question. Has anybody ever seen God in all of his fullness? Do you know that for sure? Well, look what John says in John chapter 1, verse 18. He says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, and he has made him known. And so according to what John says, no one's ever seen the Father in all of his full grace and truth. Got me? Look at what he says in 1 John four twelve. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is what? Made complete in us. And so can God show himself to us, and can we position our hearts before God now, but still not see him face to face? Yes. And that's even true right now in the heaven that our people that have gone before us live in. They still have not seen God in all of his fullness. You go, how can that be? Well, look what uh, 1 Timothy 6, 15, 16 says. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. It's still happening. So think about this. If no one has ever seen God, then think of all the instances that God has shown up before man. 
in the, in the garden, Adam and Eve, they were what? In the presence of God. But it's very clear, as John says and Paul says to his buddy Timothy, no one's ever seen God. So we know that whatever form God showed up to Adam and Eve in, it was not in the fullness of God. Adam and Eve did not stand before God face to face. Do you understand that? And so you go, wow, that's incredible. I mean, but think about this. Do you remember Moses? Moses saw God a couple of different times. He saw him in the form of a burning bush. In Exodus 33, he desired to see God, and he saw God, and then he said, God, I want to see your face. And God said, you could not see my face, for you would be consumed in my presence. And he hid Moses in the cleft of the rock with his hand, and he passed by. Awesome story in Exodus 33. I encourage you to read it sometime. And so you go, okay. But think about this. What about Israel? Like, how did Israel see God? Do you remember how Israel saw God? He gave them five books. It's called Pen and Ink. It's the Law and the Prophets, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And God made himself known in the form of pen and ink, right? Got it? Think about the Old Testament prophets. How in the world did they reveal God's will to man? How did Isaiah, how did Ezekiel, how did Daniel, how did those guys talk to other people? They saw God in the form of dreams and visions. Remember that? And then you go, well, what about the nation of Israel? Like God has been preparing the nation of Israel for this Messiah. How did, how did they see God? How did they know God? How do you and I know God? Well, what we see is in John chapter 1, he what? Sent his son, who is the exact replica of God, although you've never seen God face to face. John chapter 1, verse 14, look what it says. For the word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so did Jesus come from the Father? Absolutely. But let me ask you a question. Do you understand what He did here? He gave you a way to see God through the incarnate, made flesh of Jesus Christ. And so you look at Jesus, and you see a replica of who God is, but you never see God face to face. You see His Son and the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Now, the thing is, is if you look here explicitly right there at John 14, he made, he, the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. And literally, if you look at the made his dwelling among us, it literally takes on the verb uh, form skin, a skin. God sent his son to become skin so that he may dwell among us. Well, guess what? God dwelt among skin in the Old Testament tabernacle in the tent. And he, that's how he resided among the people. And then later they would what? Make a temple, and that's where God would reside among the people. And then later the temple was null and void, and he would send his son who would dwell among the people. Now you go, well, how does God make himself known to us? Do y'all know how he makes himself known to us? We what, have a temple, our bodies, tents that are not made by what? Human hands, but made from God. And it is the eternal dwelling in which the Holy Spirit lives in our life, helps us to what? Know right from wrong. But let me ask you a question, friends. Have any of you seen the face of God? No. If you were to stand up and go, I've seen the face of God, I would call you a liar. And here's why. Habakkuk shows us very clearly why we've not seen the face of God. Because maybe you've wondered, why has God not revealed His glory? Why has He not shown Himself in all of His fullness yet? Well, Habakkuk verse 1, 13 says, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Do you know why you haven't seen God? Because you would be consumed at the very first inkling of Him showing His face to you in His fullness. You would just disintegrate and die. Matter of fact, you, you remember just a handful of people? You remember Daniel? 
He, he got kind of a vision of, of God. And what did he, he dropped to his knees and passed out. And then he got back up with his fa- feet and he was shaking so much he couldn't hardly stand. If you remember John in Revelation 1, when he saw the same thing that appeared that Daniel saw, what did he do? He hit the floor. You remember uh, in uh, Isaiah, Isaiah says, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people who's unclean. What did he do? He hit the floor. Why? Because you and I cannot understand the fullness of God. And you go, wow, but what's that have to do with anything? Well, here's the cool thing is that there's a day where God is no longer going to be veiled and he's going to show himself in all of his beauty, in all of his glory. Do you catch this? Look what it says in uh, Matthew 5, 8. If you've got your Bibles, if not, that's cool. But it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And the word see is the Greek word pereo, which means future tense. Blessed are the pure in heart, Blessed are those who are in right relationship with God because one day they're going to see God and it literally means face to face. Let me explain it to you like this. The best way I can explain it. Do you see the sun every day out in the sky? You're like, oh, not lately. (laughs) You see the sun and you understand that the sun radiates light. Yes? And it gives heat and you realize that it's the center of the solar system. But let me ask you a question. Have you seen the sun in all of its fullness? No. Many people debate if our planet was just a few hundred miles further up that we would actually be consumed because we would be too close to the sun in its fullness. And scientists have been debating that for years, and we never know because God put us exactly where we needed to be. But the bottom line is if you decided, I'm going to venture out and try to discover the sun for all of its glory, for all of its beauty, and you were to get as close as you thought you could get, you would be consumed in an instant. That, my friends, is the best picture I can give of God. At this particular point in time, and not only history now, but until after the tribulation, the millennial reign, we are limited in what we get of God. He is veiled for a season, but there is a day that he will be unveiled and you will discover him more. Matter of fact, the psalmist said in Psalm 42, if you remember this verse, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. Oh my God, my soul thirsts for you, for the living God. When can I go and see you, is what the psalmist asks. He goes, when can I see you? David asked the same thing in Psalm 17, 15. As for me, he says, I'll be vindicated when I see your face. And when I awake, I'll be satisfied when I see your likeness, is what he said. When I get to see you in all your glory, he said, that'll be enough for me. John 14, you remember Jesus talking to his disciples? We addressed a little bit last week, and he says what? In John 14, verse 1, he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Put your trust in God. Put your trust also in me. And then he continues on. He says, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And he says, If I prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and receive you unto myself, that where I may go, you will also be. And then you remember what happens in verse 6, Thomas, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, verse 7, Thomas pipes up, and what does he say? He goes, Hey, wait a second, Jesus. If you're going away, how are we going to know the place unless you tell us? And he wanted to see it because Thomas had a struggle. You know what his struggle was? In order for him to believe it, he had to see it. You ever said that? I'll believe it when I see it. But isn't it interesting what the Bible tells us to do? Live by faith and not by... You ever heard that? Yes. And there's a measure of faith. Why? Because you haven't seen God in all His fullness. You're just trusting... 
in His Son, the person, the work of Jesus Christ, the atoning sacrifice of the cross. You're trusting that as Peter said, you receive an inheritance from God in the Holy Spirit. And what? Your inheritance, the name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, will never what? Perish. It will never spoil. It will never fade away. And so our hope is being declared before God. But even now, even as you pray to Him, even as you commune with Him, even through salvation, you still have an intercessor today. Did you know that? The Spirit intercedes on your behalf, even when your words can't make it to be. Did you know that Jesus intercedes on your behalf? He's the one that says to the Father, He's on our team, she's on our team, we've redeemed them. But you still cannot approach God in His fullness, even though that's a desire that we have. And the question is, why? Because you would be consumed in a mere instant. He is too much for you and I to comprehend. And you go, why? And I have a couple of theories, let me just give you one. You and I, and even those in heaven now, do not possess glorified bodies. Do you understand that? Like their bodies are not made for the eternal state yet. Will they be? Yes, but it won't happen until after the millennial reign. But get this, once that's done, look what happens in verse 4. This is pretty cool. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more what? Death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Do you see what's to come? He says there's never going to be a recollection of the former things. And you're like, well, so you mean to tell me that I'm not going to know my grandmother? No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I believe wholeheartedly, and I think the scripture explicitly shares that with us, that we're going to know people. But you know what Isaiah says in Isaiah 65, and I think he gives us a real good picture of this in verse 17. He says, the old things have passed away, and he says, the former things will not be remembered. Meaning, you and I, when we get to the new heaven and the new earth before God, are not going to remember the former things that you and I had done against him. I touched on it last week. Meaning, you're not going to understand sin. You're not going to understand pain. You're not even going to be able to wrap your mind around that there was a time that your body groaned and that you had aches and pains and sickness and disease. You're not going to remember the time that there was calamity on earth and that there were wars and rumors of wars. Why? Because the former things had passed away. And you're going to simply say, Behold, all things have been made new. And you're not going to be able to remember all those things way back when. You're not going to remember all of you people who have had factions and, and uh, quarrels in the church. You left the church because somebody chose a different color of carpet than you liked. You're not going to remember. You're going to be sitting in heaven next to them. You're going to be talking about the things of God. And you're going to forget all about the disagreement you had on that committee you were on. Praise Jesus. <laughs> you're going to forget all the things that are non-essential. Do you understand that? Which makes the point that right now, why do we argue and why do we debate so many non-essentials? Because God says the former things are going to be gone. The things that you and I, the, the little bitty doctrines that we talk about, like is this going to happen uh, at mid-trib or post-trib? Is it going to happen pre-trib? Are you a dispensationalist or not? And like most of you, you're like, I don't even have a clue what that means. And exactly, keep your eye there. Here's what you need to know moving forward. God loves you. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem you. He says, if I redeem you, I speak for you, my blood covers you. He says, I'm going to come back and receive you unto myself. And right now you may be going, well, which heaven will it be? It's going to be all of them. And so here's the cool thing. Whether you are in heaven now with God, or whether it's in the millennial reign, or in the tribulation, it doesn't matter. Because here's what I know, to be absent of the body is present with the Lord. If I'm with the Lord, it's better than anything this earth offers. 
And so don't get too confused and don't study too much into it. Here's what I know. Jesus died for you, said I'm going to receive you, and I know that for all the glory I'm going to be with him. The one thing I do know, and my point to you explicitly today, is this. There is also going to be a day where you're not limited in how much you see God. He's going to express all of his glory to you. And there's going to be a day in verse 4 where he says, I'm going to wipe every tear from your eyes. Literally, in eternity, once it finally gets there and all the other stuff's gone, the seven-year tribulation, the millennial reign, then finally he's going to settle down and it says, I'm going to wipe every tear from your eye. Literally meaning that just as my son fell a couple of weeks ago and he scrapes his little knee and I go and I pick him up and he's crying and boo-hooing and these tears are dropping and I literally just wipe them from his eyes that God is going to have enough time in all of eternity to take every single one of us who have put our faith in Him through the person and the work and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and He is going to take all those former things that you used to know, and He is going to literally wipe them. And He has enough time in all of eternity to do that for every single one of us to hold us and literally wipe all of that away so that you no longer, what? Remember the old order of things. And to me right there, that's heaven enough for me. Because there's no recollection of all the times that I betrayed God. There's never those times where I said hateful things or I responded in the way that I wasn't supposed to. All that's spoken for is that Jesus purchased my body. He resurrected and made me a new glorified body that I can enjoy for all of eternity with God. And, and, and you're going, oh, okay, I, I get this. I, that's awesome. But if that's really the case, then like, what are we going to do for all of eternity? Like, he's just going to wipe our tears from our eyes and then we're not going to remember anything else? See, this is where I think we've also missed it. Look at Ephesians 2. I want to read something to you and I want you to catch it. In verses 8 and 9, we use this all the time. I bet I use Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. I bet I use this verse six times a week, okay? Here we go. This is what it says. It's for what? Grace that you've been saved, not of yourselves, what? So that no one can boast. But it's the free gift of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You got it? So it's, it is what? By grace that you've been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, meaning no works get you there. Got it? We agree on that. We go, okay, that's fantastic. It's by the free gift of Jesus Christ our Lord. Awesome. That's a verse we, we read all the time. But you know what? We've always skipped over 6 and 7. Look what, listen to what 6 and 7 says. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Did you just catch that? Listen. He raises up, seated us with him in the heavenly realms, so that we might see the incomparable riches of his grace in the age to come. Think about this. Right now, because we've put our faith in the person, the work of Jesus Christ, we have access to God, right? We don't have to have a priest. You don't need a pastor. We can pray to God. The Spirit intercedes for us, right? Jesus intercedes for us, yes. We can pray to Him. We can commune with Him. But do you know what you can't do? You can't learn more about the fullness of His glory. Why? Because He hasn't unveiled it yet. He hasn't shown all of His glory. But when will he do that? In the new heavens and the new earth. He's going to show you all of his glory. And you know what Paul says? Listen to it. He goes, and you're going to be ready to learn about his incomparable riches of grace. Do you know what it means? It's going to take you the entire eternity to figure out all the dimensions of God that he's never unveiled to you. Think about it. He gave Moses a burning bush because Moses couldn't understand all that God was. 
Do you remember Job as he was contemplating who God was and he was bitter and angry with God, just as many of you are? And you're like, God, I just want to flip you off because you're such a sorry God and you've allowed this and this and this. And do you remember what God said? He said, when's the last time that you knew where snow came from? When's the last time you knew who I was? You remember what he told Moses? He said, Moses said, who do I tell the people that you are? And Moses was told by God, he said, you tell them I am who I am. Meaning you cannot begin to understand all the dimensions of God. But the cool thing is, is God wants such a relationship with you that in the new heavens and new earth, he's going to unveil himself where you get to see him in all of his fullness. Meaning that every dimension, everything that you've ever wondered about God, he's going to unveil to you and the new heavens and the new earth. And guess what? It's going to take us an entire eternity to learn about it. Wow. Because see, just because you have a new glorified body doesn't make you sovereign. It doesn't mean that you'll know all things. If you knew all things, then you would be God, wouldn't you? And so what God is going to do is he's going to give us a new glorified body where we don't have any more aches and pains where we have a brilliant mind to be able to see the incomparable riches of God's glory, and we're going to be learners in heaven, and we're going to be learning, guess what? About God. And so I think so many of us ask the wrong questions. I can't wait to see my grandpa again so I can ask him about the fishing days. I think so many of us, we go, well, I can't wait to talk to Moses. Man, I bet that staff was wicked, dude. Turned into a snake and back. He parted the Red Sea, man, I can't talk. I'm like, no, 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 I think you're asking the wrong question. I don't think you're going to care near as much as the denial that Peter offered before the cross. And I think you're going to care a lot more about the incomparable riches of God's glory as he radiates and as Revelation 22 says, there's no, there's no night. There's no sun that governs the heavens because his light is an all-consuming fire and he radiates the entire heavens and the world just through his presence. What does that look like? See, he's the king of glory. There's nothing that could describe him. There's nothing that you and I could do now to even wrap our heads around him. Why? Because you and I are not there yet. And he hasn't even unveiled himself in that way yet. But he will. And that's going to be a glorious day. Do you understand? And so the question is, is what do we do now? Like, how do we continue? Well, look what he says. This is what he says. He says, trust in these things. Look at verse 5. He gives us three things in 5 and 6 to trust him. He said, number one, he says, he who is seated on the throne says, I'm making all things new. Awesome. That's worth an amen right there. Amen. Then he said, two, write this down, for my words are trustworthy and true. He said, take it to the bank. Everything I've said so far is true, so why would I lie on this? And then number three, he says, it's done. Consider it finished and complete. He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. He says, I spoke the world into existence. And he said, I'll speak the new heaven and the new earth into existence. He says, it's finished. It's done. And so just as Jesus had the power to commit himself to God, as he said, it is finished, God says, I am the beginning and the end. And when I declare it is finished, when it is done, he said, you can take it to the bank. My word hold true. And that's what he says. And then you go, okay, what do we do until now? Do you know what you do till now? I think Paul gives us a glimpse of it in, in 1 Corinthians 13. And it's this love chapter. And like you hear it at weddings all the time. And again, it's just this, this section. We read about the first seven or eight verses and we kind of just skip over the rest. But listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12 and 13. Listen, listen so clearly. For now, we only see a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. 
Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now, if you haven't heard anything I said, catch this. Do you see what he's saying? He goes, now is only a mirror. You see a reflection. He says, right now you know partly, but one day you'll know fully. Does that back up everything I've just said in one verse? Listen, right now we're limited on how much we see God. But he says, one day you're going to see him in all of his glory and all of his splendor. You're going to see him fully in his totality. But right now it's limited. He says, right now it's as if it's a mirror. It's a reflection. Like, isn't it crazy? Like, think about it. All you big old buff deer hunters, you know, like you get in the woods on the first day and you're like, oh God, thank you so much for that pretty little deer. And like, you don't say that to people, but that's what you're thinking. I love your creation, God. And you're like praying in the deer stand. You're like, this is so fantastic, you know. And then all of a sudden you raise your gun and go, boom, right? But in the moment, you're like, this is a reflection of God. It's awesome. Like, like all you old peeps, I know you're getting old when you buy an RV to travel the, the country. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, amen. Yeah, that's, that's when you know you're getting old, okay? That's when you know you're closer to the grave than you were to birth. RVs, they, they show you that. But here's what you do. You hop in your RV, and you go around, and you want to see the world, right? You take a trip down to the Grand Canyon, and you see God's biggest ditch, and you're overwhelmed. Oh my gosh, look, it holds water. I wonder how they drain this thing, you know? And you're like, you're just overwhelmed. Your heart is full. Like you head to Colorado where it's cool and the weather seems to always be perfect and you catch a salmon and you're like, oh my gosh, the salmon. And then you look at these mountains, which is just a part of the terrain in our country, and you're like blown away. Like how in the world did this ever happen? You go to Niagara Falls and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. You're like all blown away, and you're just like, you can't even wrap your head around it. And what Paul says is this, everything you see is a mere reflection of who God is. And if you're blown away by the mountains and a ditch, (laughs) then can you imagine what it's going to look like when God reveals all of his glory? Like I can't even like I can't even wrap my head around the new city, the new Jerusalem, these walls that are 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles tall. I can't wrap my head around gold streets, but are also transparent. What does that look like? But the crazy thing is we're asking the wrong questions because we're like, I wonder what the kingdom of God's going to look like. And the crazy thing is, is he says, it's not going to be just a mere reflection anymore. You're going to see the glory of God in all of its fullness. And you're going, I wonder what Peter looks like, and I wonder if he's guarding that big old gate made of hurl. And you're actually going to get to see God face to face. And I think you're going to be so overwhelmed with His glory that you may even walk through the city and not see all of it. That's crazy. But Paul ends it and he says, but right now, he said, there are these three things. Get this, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And see, so you just passed over that, and you're like, oh, that's fantastic, right? Yeah, so this is all reflection. It's a mirror. One day, we, we're going to know God fully right now, and we just know Him partly. But he said, but we live right now by faith, hope, and love, and the grace of these is love. And have you ever thought about this? Like, I didn't even catch that until this week. Listen to this. This is crazy. Live by faith, hope, and love. Wasn't it Thomas who said, Lord, I will not, what, believe until I see. And yet the scripture says, live by faith and not by sight, right? And so right now, we have faith. 
that Jesus did indeed die because we never saw him in person. We believe the testimonies that are written and we believe them to be true, right? We believe that he died and we put our faith in that. And there are many that are skeptics, maybe in this room, that you go, I, I can't put my faith in that. But for those of us who are Christians, we put our faith in that, right? Matter of fact, we put our hope in it. Like, the reason I'm even up here teaching, the reason that I let some of you look at me like, he is nuts, he is crazy, is because I have hope in these things. Like, I believe right now we live in a broken and tattered world. I I believe that there is sin, and I believe that there is sickness, and there is evil and corruption. But I also believe, and I have hope, that God says all of this is going to be changed one day. Right? And so I have faith, and I have hope, and I have love. But have you thought about this? Paul says you'll, you'll see not just a mere reflection, but you'll see him in all of his glory. You won't know him partly, but you'll know him fully. And then get this, he says... You'll have faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. But do you know when the new heaven and the new earth, when it actually comes down? Do you remember what he says? We'll have these three things, but do you realize that only one of those things will actually remain for all of eternity? Just think about it. You don't have faith anymore when the new heaven and the new earth comes down. Because why? Because everything you've ever believed has actually come to fruition. And you don't have to have faith in something you can see. And so now you sit in the face of God and you actually see him face to face. And so guess what? There's no longer need for faith because faith has arrived. Do you understand that? And then you think, well, what about hope? Is there a need for hope? No, there's no need for hope. The old order of things have passed away. There's no more brokenness. There's no more deceiver. There's no one else to take you and break you and make you pray for hope because hope has arrived. You are in the presence of hope. But he said, but the greatest of these is love. And do you know what God's designed us to do? To love him for all of eternity. And do you realize that right now we have faith, hope, and love, and the grace of these is love? Because we're going to love forever. And so the one thing that you and I need to know that as believers, that as we press on and we have faith in these things, as we hope and we long for these things, the greatest thing that the church can do right now and the thing that you'll do for all of eternity is love. And yet, oftentimes, we don't love very well. And so let me just take a, like a 10-second timeout and just say, how are you loving people? Are you, are you caring for people? Are you nurturing people? Do people characterize you as a person of love? Do they believe that you're a person of faith and hope? Or do they think that you're just one of these people who casually believe that maybe Jesus did die and you believe that you, you, you might know him but it's not really changed you and you're really not preparing for the day to know God fully? May you know God fully and may you start now in learning about that. What an incredible challenge. Let me just close with, with this. If faith will have arrived, you see it, hope is there, you're in its fullness, you love fully, Maybe you can kind of walk out of here like Fanny Crosby did when she wrote this 18th century hymn. You got me? Look, look what she, she wrote. When my life work is ended and I cross the swelling tide, when the bright and glorious morning I shall see, I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side. And His smile will be the first to welcome me. Through the gates of the city in a robe of spotless white, he will lead me where no tears will ever fall. In the glad songs of ages, I shall mingle with delight, but I long to meet my Savior first of all. And I go, oh, that's awesome. And then you realize that Fanny Crosby was blind 
and she believed that God would resurrect her and give her a glorified body in which no longer was she pained by blindness, but that she could now see, and that she would always be in awe of the wondrous glories that she never saw on earth, but were fulfilled in the place of heaven, the new heavens and the new earth, as she saw God in all of his fullness, as she saw this new Jerusalem coming out of the heavens, prepared for her. What an incredible thing that God has done. And oftentimes we ask questions more about the inhabitants, about what will we do? What, will we eat? Will we fly? Will we talk about things? Will we fish? You know, will there be animals? Will there be... I'm like, I don't know, but I can't imagine how long it's going to take me to discover God in all His fullness. And I, I trust that maybe if I do that, there will be some time for fishing, Right? But we'll see, and we're going to talk about that two weeks from now. What do the inhabitants do? What do we do there? And uh, is it just playing harps? Do we become angels? We're going to answer those questions. But the greatest thing you and I need to be thinking about is this. When we finally see the new heaven and the new earth, what is that going to be like? To see God in all of his splendor. I can't get over that. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you, Lord, that... Even though you have showed us so much about yourself through your word. Lord, even though we have the hope of heaven. Lord, even though that right now our names are written in heaven. Lord, that's our inheritance. That's where our reward is. That's where the place that we're going to go when we die is. Lord, what does it look like when you finally establish the new heavens and the new earth? Lord, what does it look like when the first heaven and the first earth pass away? Lord, I can't, I can't really wrap my head around all that. I don't even know what that looks like. But the one thing I do know is that there's going to be a day where there's no former things of this earth. There's no more mourning or crying or pain for the old things have passed away. There, there's no longer a desire to have hope because hope has arrived. There's no longer a day where I have to live by faith and not by sight because faith has arrived. And I look at faith face to face and I actually see the King of glory in all of His radiance. And Lord, I am overtaken by that. I cannot even begin with my finite mind to wrap my head around that, nor can any of us. Lord, so many of us are confused just about what all this looks like. Father, may we just keep the main things the main things. And we remember that right now we only see you as a reflection, but one day we'll see you face to face. Until then, may we have faith, hope, and love. And may we love fully. May we desire for the things of heaven. May we desire to see you, to drink with you, to eat with you, to dine with you. But Lord, even you told the disciples in Luke 22, 16, and 18 that you will not eat of the bread of life again, or drink of the blood of the vine, the juice, until you establish the new heaven and the new earth at the final wedding feast. And so when that happens, Lord, I can't wait to see you more. And I pray our hearts would be positioned towards you even now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.